0: We're working our way through 2 Timothy, and as Alex said, uh, focusing on building a church that serves, and this morning we're talking about preaching, or more specifically, I feel a little bit meta, uh, because I'm preaching about preaching, Uh, and I I was even thinking that maybe next week I should preach about preaching about preaching, Um, but it's a rather strange and somewhat uncomfortable topic, ironically. Uh, I've found over the years that when strangers find out that uh, at first when I was in seminary and then now that I'm a preacher by vocation, they usually offer me some kind of advice. They love to give me advice. And the broad consensus that I've gathered from all of these bits and pieces from advice, not from any of you, don't worry, uh, is something like this. One, keep it under five minutes. Check. Uh, Tell lots of jokes. And then say something touching or inspirational that people can take home and feel that they really connect with you and relate to you. And I think these folks mean well, uh, but I don't think they really know what preaching is. And usually, most of the time, by the way, there's always the subtext of there's some shadowy preacher from their own church who's lurking in the background as the bad guy, and they're really just venting their frustrations about whoever that poor guy is. Uh, to me, this is a strange enterprise, isn't it? Like uh, week after week, Alex and I get up here and and talk to Yins uh, from up here. Uh, like, why are you all sitting quietly in these wooden, uncomfortable chairs while I talk to you? Uh, is it because I'm really, really funny? Don't answer that question. Uh, maybe it's because, as one writer said. The preacher's function is partly therapeutic, partly educational. I'll say that again. The preacher's function is partly therapeutic, partly educational. Is that what it is? Uh, Am I a guru who has really great life advice for all of you, many of you who are older than me? and, um, And I can help you along the way from my inherent ontological superiority and wisdom to help you all be your best selves. Is that what this is? It's just weird. Uh, in our passage this morning from 2 Timothy 4, we hear that preaching actually really matters. It's very, very important. This thing that we are doing right now, and there's more to it than just this context, but it's very, very important, but not for these reasons. Um Paul, who is an older pastor, we know, is giving advice, kind of his last charge, to his apprentice, a younger pastor in Ephesus named Timothy. And uh, Paul tells Timothy why preaching matters, what preaching is, and how actually to preach well. Why preaching matters, what preaching is, and how to preach well. So that's kind of our three points this morning that I want to walk us through. But before we jump into the text, I want to just name the weirdness of this again. Uh, It feels a little bit self-indulgent. It's sort of like um, when people write a musical about people who are putting on a musical. You know what I mean? It's like, can't you come up with something more creative to write a musical about than a musical Uh, or every first-year poetry student who writes a poem about writing a poem and how hard it is to write a poem. Like, let's let's think of some other subject matter here. But I think this subject is important for all of us for at least two reasons. One, we spend in our congregation roughly 40% of our worship time on this activity that we're doing right now called preaching. That comes out to at least 20 hours a year, Or now that I'm here, it might be a little bit more than that. Uh, And we take it really, really seriously as a church. There's a reason that this pulpit is at the very center of this kind of whatever this is called here. Um, We take this seriously. uh, And I think it's important that we talk about what preaching is and why we do it so that our expectations are not shaped by the culture around us, but rather by the scriptures themselves. We want to have a biblical view of preaching. Right, And then two, because preaching isn't something that clergy do, preaching is something that Christians do. We all share in this call to make disciples by preaching the gospel to the nations. Now, you might say, well, I'm not vocationally a preacher. Um, I'm vocationally a doctor, or I'm vocationally uh, a lawyer, or I'm vocationally a wrangler of multiple children, uh, who which is a very, very high calling. Um, and so I don't preach. Ah, but yes, you do. Maybe your sermon's not a 25-minute discourse in front of a congregation. But maybe, just maybe, it's a soft word carefully spoken to a friend who's in need after listening to them. That's preaching. We're going to see... We're going to see why, but I want to jump into the text first. Look with me at, first, at verse 6. That's 2 Timothy 4, 6. Paul knows that his own life is coming to an end, so he says to Timothy, verse 6, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. My prayer is that every one of you might be able to say that someday. That's what Paul says. The time has come for Paul. He's going to go be with the Lord. It's the end of the road for him. Pretty soon, according to tradition, he was uh, decapitated in the city of Rome. He knows that's coming. And so he says, Timothy, it's your turn to take up the mantle. And so here's what to do. Verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So why does preaching matter, according to Paul? Notice the context of the charge in verse 1. Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Isn't that quite an audience? Uh, Jenna and I took marriage vows once, almost nine years ago. And when we did that, it wasn't a matter, we weren't like watching Gilmore Girls together, which I did do that. Um, And I didn't look across and pause the TV and said, we should get married. I'll tell you what. Tell you what, Jenna. I, Benjamin, take you, Jenna, to be my wife, to have and to hold. And then she would say the same thing back. And then we turn the TV back back on and good. So poof, we're married. That's not how it happened, right? Uh, Maybe you had a wedding like that. Um, I don't recommend it. What we did is we took our vows in the presence of our community In the presence of witnesses before God, before our friends, before our family, before our pastors. And that audience contextualized the vows that we made. It said that this thing that we're entering in together uh, isn't just about us. It's actually about this wider community. And ultimately it's about God himself. Same idea here. The audience contextualizes the charge. So if Paul had said, I charge you in the presence of all of your listeners and of your brilliant rhetorical ability, Timothy, and uh, your incredible ideas, preach your good advice, you're going to have a fantastic career, then we would know what this is really about, wouldn't we? We would know that this is about the edification of the people who are listening to Timothy, and that's ultimately, you know who it's really about. It's about Timothy himself. It's about stoking his ego, building his career. But that's not what Paul says, is it? He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, your judge. Preach the word. So so we know that preaching is really about who? God. Preaching is about God. This thing that we do together... Uh, where one person is speaking and others are listening, is ultimately about God. It's worship. It's a strange and one one author calls it a peculiar act of worship, but it is worship nonetheless. Before it's therapy, before it's education, it's worship. Preaching matters because God matters. He is of ultimate value in the universe. And this is a hard thing in our culture, uh, or really hu- any human culture, to rest our eyes upon, right? That that the ultimate value in the universe is not your own self, but that you exist for the sake of another. You exist to glorify God. Your life is not about you. My life. charging you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus. Keruxon tan lagon. Preach the word. Or another translation, proclaim the word. So that word kerukson first, we translate it preach. At its root, it's associated with the idea of a herald, not H A R O L D, but H E R A L D, right? you know what i'm talking about all right uh so uh the if the king is planning to come to town right he sends the herald ahead and the herald plays the trumpet and announces the good news and says hear ye hear ye the king shall be here in a fortnight right the herald delivers the message um and then george bellick is over in the corner and is like what's a fortnight again? Um, and, and the Herald's like, oh, well, that's two weeks, right? So there's an element of explanation as well. There's announcing and explaining. But this is very limited, the amount of explaining. Um, we don't get to rewrite the message, right? Because this, this isn't something that Alex or I made up. Um, to quote Gerhard Friedrich III my homeboy, in the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament. He says this, "'It is important that heralds deliver news or pass on messages strictly as they are given to them. In negotiations, they, the heralds, seldom act on their own initiative, but simply deliver short messages and then report back for further instructions.'" So what's the image of a a preacher here? Is the preacher the person who gets to modify doctrine and change the message, the essential Christian message? No, because they're not a guru. They're just a herald. The power is not in the preacher at all. Zero. Zero power. Ben Hughes has zero power. Ben Hughes has zero authority. The word of God has the power and the authority. So we all stand underneath of God's word when we do this together. And so if I say something that is not in the word of God, you all need to be like the Bereans and be like, whoa, hold up a second. You just transgressed your authority there. Um, This is why we do this together. Um, So... When Paul tells Timothy to preach, he's not talking about giving a lecture or facilitating a group therapy session. He's not talking about telling a a string of stories and jokes that are touching or sentimental. What he's saying is, faithfully herald the message that you received. That's it. That's what preaching is, according to the New Testament. And what is the message that Timothy received? Paul says, ton Logon, the word. And this clearly means, in the context, the message of all the scriptures. Well, where am I getting that from? Uh, look with me at the end of chapter 3, right? Uh, remember, these chapter and verse divisions are not part of the original inspired text. They're like a grid that we've put on top in order to help us all know that we're talking about the same part of the book, Right? Um, they're put on out afterwards. Sometimes they're helpful. Sometimes, like here, they're not. If we read right across from the end of chapter 3 to the beginning of chapter 4, it makes a single complete thought, and it goes like this. Chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work, I charge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. So where's that word coming from, Paul? I'll tell you where it's coming from. It's It's coming from all scripture, which is breathed out by God. That's the word I'm talking about. So preach the word means preach the scriptures. But it doesn't just mean that. There's more to it. It turns out that you can read the scriptures your whole life and not get it. You can be well familiar with the Bible. There have been people who are more familiar with the Bible than anyone in this room who have had no idea what it's really about. Jesus said this, John five thirty nine. He said to um, all the Jewish authorities, Listen, guys, you search the scriptures because you think uh, that in them you have eternal life but it is they that bear witness about me. So preaching the word is more than just preaching the Bible. It means preaching the Bible in a way that shows uh, what the Bible itself does, which is everything points to this one man who lived a sinless life, who lived the life that you ought to have lived, and then bloodied himself for your sake upon a cross. That's what we preach. So preach the word means preach the scriptures, but more preach the gospel, preach Christ. Okay, so how do you discern good preaching then from bad preaching? Well, that's pretty easy, right? It's under five minutes. That ship sailed. Um, It's dynamic. It's insightful. It's funny. There's a sultry, baritone, usually English voice that's, that's good preaching. Not exactly. I mean, yes. But uh, <laughs> it is. It is good preaching. But that's not why. Um, we can start by stating the obvious. Uh, if it really isn't about God, if it's not biblically faithful, like in a real way where everything is like like, let me show you where I get this point from right? So we're clever. We can, we can sneak things through all the time. Um, but show, show me where this comes from in the scriptures. If it doesn't center on Christ, Paul wouldn't say that that's bad preaching. He would say it's not preaching at all. It just isn't preaching. It's something else. Maybe you're doing a nice little, like, jig up here, but that's not preaching, but given that it's actually preaching, that it fulfills those criteria, that it's the real thing, good preaching is persistent, it's personal, and it's patient. It's persistent, it's personal, and it's patient. I know I Presbyterianized that just a little bit, but stick with me, okay? Look at verse 3. Be ready in season and out of season. That means be ready when times are good, when the, he- the listeners really want to hear And be ready when times are bad and it seems like the doors are closed. Be ready when you're having a great day. Be ready when you've been up all night. Be ready. Be persistent. And here's the thing. A lot of people can show up and razzle-dazzle people with incredible rhetorical ability. Um, All it takes is a little bit of experience and charisma to do that. The news is littered with enough Uh, tragic stories of broken churches to realize that there are a lot of people that can do that, that can preach a great sermon, but that's not good preaching. Good preaching is persistent because it turns out that people change uh, and become like Christ over time. Right, And this is even scientifically true if you study neuroplasticity, that our brains are constantly changing and evolving, and we grow to become more like Christ by soaking in God's word week in, week out, day in, day out. And that takes some persistence. We build our trust slowly, don't we? So... And I've noticed this over time, that the longer I'm with you all, uh, the less this becomes about my own voice, and the more we are able uh, to together sit under God's word. Um, That's what we need, steady, persistent preaching. Second, good preaching is personal. Paul tells Timothy to reprove, rebuke, and exhort wondering if you've ever been reproved, rebuked, or exhorted by someone who doesn't really know you. I have. It's not fun. Um, And it's also not very effective. Good preaching is personal. It requires actual actual relational care, actual investment, right? You always know a shepherd because they kind of look and smell like the sheep they're dirty. They're willing to get down on the ground. Finally, good preaching is patient. Paul says to do all this correcting and encouraging, quote, with complete patience and teaching. So when I was a kid, uh, I used to daydream during the Sunday sermon, as many of you no doubt are now. Uh, And sometimes I would imagine that I was the guy in the pulpit and I, would, I grew up in this kind of affluent suburb, and I had this incredible invective that I was just getting ready to get, in, get up there and just lay it down on them. I was going to show these people what's up. Um, it was going to be the most fire and brimstone sermon you could possibly imagine. Their sins, I was going to make it really clear to them So that they could squirm, but they could not escape. But that's an unbiblical view of preaching. That's an unbiblical view of preaching. That attitude does not belong in a pulpit. That's that's a a way of doing violence to another person. God does not endorse that. Good preaching is patient, just as God is patient. Because I don't know what all of your sins are, but the Holy Spirit does. And so the preacher, before they t- have the boldness to speak directly into someone's life, has to hold it, to check themselves, to take the log out of their own eye before they see the speck in their brother or sister's eye. Right? Um, good preaching challenges us and convicts us, but it does not condemn us. Good preaching calls a sin a sin, doesn't back away from that, but it never points out a sin without pointing out in the very same breath that we have a Christ who died for sinners. Christ is patient with sinners. He desires our good. Good preaching should, too. So I want to close with a brief word about why you and I desperately need this. Look with me at verse 3. Verse 3. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. I have read that for the past week and said, oh, I wonder who those people are. Uh, And it turns out that those people are me. Paul says, people won't put up with preaching. They're gonna get caught up in their own passions, they're gonna make their playlists full of influences that agree with them in every possible way, because they're ultimately, all of us, narcissistic and self obsessed. And so what do they do? How do we cure that? If they won't listen to preaching, what do they what do these people need? Paul says, they need preaching. (laughs) They need preaching. Uh, a few years ago, I saw a movie about this man who lost all capacity to form any kind of long-term memories, and every morning, he would wake up completely forgetting who he was or where he came from, and so he would actually tattoo uh, on his arms and legs and across his body all this information, all these notes about who he was so that he could wake up and remember And it struck me as a pretty good explanation of why you and I need preaching. Um, Because we're spiritual amnesiacs. Uh, Isaiah said that we're like sheep that keep wandering off. Right? Um, We adapt to the dog-eat-dog pattern of the world. We tend to conform ourselves to the pattern of the world, Monday through Friday, and even Sunday sometimes, too. Um, and we follow the devices and desires of our own twisted hearts. As the reformers said, uh, that the nature of sin is being curved in on oneself. We have a tendency to lose the script. We forget who we are, and we forget who God is. Uh, The legend has it that someone came up to the great reformer Martin Luther after a service once and said, why do you keep Preaching the gospel every week. When are we going to move on to the real stuff? And he said to them, "Uh, I preach the gospel to you week after week because week after week you forget it. I think we all are like that. We forget the gospel. And we need to be reminded of it time and time and time again. We need to sit and hear the word of God proclaimed over us. And maybe out of sheer repetition, the barrage will finally get through. And the Holy Spirit will light the fires inside until we open the front door and the word pierces our hearts and we're changed and and it, and it hits us. This is what we need to hear. 1 Corinthians 6.20, you were bought with a price. Romans 8, one. there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. You don't have to do that by yourself. That's by God's power. 1 Timothy 1.15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners like you. 1 John 2, 1. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, one who's looking out for us. Jesus Christ, the righteous, he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. You and I need to be reminded of that week after week because we tend to forget it You need to hear these words from my lips, and I need to hear them from yours. So let's be people that preach the gospel to one another, because we need it. Amen? Amen? Amen.